everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ends With Z. I'm Juan Fernandez, along with Cecile Munoz. And, you know, looking at the calendar, we're almost done with September. Cecile, mm -hmm. October, less than a week away. We have elections not far off, which means that glide into the November, December months not far off. And while the holidays are a tough time for anybody, during good times, I think it's going to be especially tough this year as the pandemic has really changed everything we know about living these days. That's right. And I think that the, it's not only the pandemic, it's everything mm -hmm. that's right now in, in our society, the stressors, the pressure, the civil unrest, the social injustice. I read a report from the American Psychological Association. Mm -hmm. I think it came out last week where it stated that the future is a really great source of stress and distress to 80% mm -hmm. of us Americans. And also the COVID response tracking system also tracked uh, in their report that Americans feel the unhappiest that we felt in 50 years. That all mm -hmm. to me is an indication of the incredible mental distress that we're under. And I agree with you, Juan. Mm -hmm. On a normal basis, a lot of people have wonderful feelings about the holidays. I happen to be one of them. Sure. I come from a really la large uh -huh. family. But I also know so many people that it's a point of distress. So I, I think about those things, and that's why I'm glad that we're we're doing this uh, podcast today, and I'm excited to, to have our in-studio guest. That's right. We're welcoming back uh, Los Angeles psychotherapist and author John Silimparis. Thanks again, John, for being with us. Um, your guidance and your information, I think, is very important for all of us and, and for our listeners as well. Thanks for having me. We had such a wonderful mm -hmm. uh, discussion with you the last time we spoke, and we received a lot of responses and a lot of inquiries. Uh, a member of my team, she actually wrote a very long email to me. First of all, she wanted to thank you for the advice you gave her because she realized that she had been on autopilot as a defense mechanism for mm. everything that was coming at her. And what she pulled out of our discussion in your advice was that although she was protecting a part of her life um, to limit the amount of information, to limit the discussions, to limit the news, limit the negativity, as she put it, she was also being part of what she feels was the problem of not staying engaged, not being part of the solution for social injustice and civil unrest and, and proper change. So. Um, she appreciated what you had to say. She wants to understand better how she can continue to live in this distressor that, that we're living under. Um, I think you used the term COVID mine, mm -hmm. and we'd love to hear about that. And what, what tools, what, what things she can use to continue to balance properly her emotions with what mm -hmm. she feels is her responsibility as an American. Okay. Good. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic in mind has really upended us, as we know. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of kicked us out of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, so many of us are living in this perpetual state of anxiety and worry. And not just from the pandemic, from many, many other circumstances. That's mm -hmm. a constellation of things that have happened in 2020. Um, and um, I sort of look at it as a confluence of influence. There's so many things yes. that have happened. And then we have the election coming up, and some people suffer from seasonal affective disorder, and then the holidays come up, and that can also be stressful for people. So mm -hmm. it's kind of the end of the year, but we're not out of the woods. Um, so we have been so stressed out that we do uh, easily induce ourselves into threat response mode, which is kind of mm -hmm. like fight, flight, or freeze, as we discussed mm -hmm. last time. But threat response is a little bit different. It's more uh, acute awareness, more hyperactivity, or hypervigilance. And so remember, it's an adaptive function that was put there you know, by evolution or by God, whatever you believe in. So naturally, right now, this hyperactivity is very, very high. Mm -hmm. And for many people, and these are people that I've been treating since March, this hyperactivity can turn into panic. Now, John, let me ask you about that. When you, you speak to some of these um, patients that come to you, um, what is it that lets you know what their triggers could are during this time? It must be different for everybody, right? Yeah, I mean, again, it's the excessive worry. It's insomnia. It's not eating well, mm -hmm. eating too much or too little. Uh, it's feeling irritable. It's um, lashing out at people. Uh, also, the people that are not working feel very inadequate, that they ha can't provide for their families. Mm -hmm. And then the main thing is is the um, chronic fear of what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Remember, the, the, the variables of uncertainty freak people out because everybody mm -hmm. likes a guarantee. 
All of us in yeah. this yes. room love guarantees. Yeah, that we'll, pay, you, we'll pay money mm-hmm. for a guarantee. That list you just mentioned, we've talked about it in other podcasts. I've had trouble sleeping, and I think I've handled the pandemic uh, well. Mm-hmm. I still have a job. I still work. Income mm-hmm. is still happening. But um, what you were mentioning, people not eating well, eating too much, not being able to exercise because gyms are closed, that mm-hmm. really does throw your whole life off off kilter. It does. And then there's the socialization that we lack. Mm-hmm. You know, again, mm-hmm. we don't live in a vacuum. We, we need each other to, to hang out with and talk to. And then you have the opposite end of that where people with families are stuck at home and they're working from home, they're homeschooling, mean, um, they're either homeschooling their children or mm-hmm. they are basically having to monitor their the kids' online classes. And that's a lot of stress to have a family that, you know, not, not every family has a yard that you can go out and play in. Yes. Right. You know? I was reading that uh, they were monitoring uh, the effects of, of loneliness caused by isolation, caused by the shelter at home or, or stay at home um, requirements that we were living under and some of us are still living under. But if I read it correctly, they said that they didn't see a significant uptick on loneliness uh, as the main trigger for what everybody is feeling, this anxiousness, the, the feeling of anger and, and, and sadness and overwhelming uh, aspects. And I found that really interesting, and I thought, well, that can't be right. And then as I thought about it, I thought, well, we are still finding ways to engage. We use Zoom. We're mm-hmm. talking to each other mm-hmm. more. And so I thought... Well, then what are the other things that are causing this, this level of anxiety? And as I think about it, of course, it's the coronavirus, is the economic impact, it's the, the racism and the social injustice. And uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I would love to hear what that does to us, if there are short-term or long-term effects. Are there going to be ramifications of this after, God willing, we found um, a, a vaccine and this has is in our rear view mirror and how do we think about these effects what are what are some of the signs how can we bring awareness to that yeah i mean again the um fear thrives on um uncertainty mm. and so to me the biggest factor is the uncertainty remember mm. if if they said to us back in march okay we're going to have to socially isolate and do all the things that we're doing to prevent the spread of the pandemic um, and it's all going to end in July. Everybody would have hunkered right. down for two months and would have said, yes. okay, I can handle it. This totally sucks, but I can handle it. But because it just goes on and on and on, remember the tragedies of 9-11 and subsequent ones from that? We bounced back after a week, maybe after a month, because mm-hmm. it was over. It was one day. Mm-hmm. But this is different. You know, if a, if a patient comes to me and says, so what do I do? When's this going to end? I don't have an answer for them. Mm. All I can help them to do, which is what I'm going to talk about today, is to work on the here and now today, the minutia of the day. And that's why the cliche um, slogan from 12-step meetings, one day at a time, mm-hmm. is really the best thing. One day at a time and the two words for now. For now, I'm feeling this way, but I may not necessarily feel this way tomorrow. So it's really, so right now, it's quarter to 11. My patient's job is to get through the day. And, I, and I'll show you how to do that. What you just said, John, uh, fear thrives in uncertainty. Mm-hmm. When this all started, I had a friend of mine who who used to work um, a job in Hollywood um, as a stand-in. You know, all the shows mm-hmm. were shut down. He would call me just to vent. And just like what you said, I could hear the fear in his voice. And when I would try to pinpoint, well, what are you worried about? You know, you're okay. You have a home. You have savings. What's wrong? He really couldn't pinpoint anything. So it was that uncertainty I think you're talking right. about, which now when I look back, maybe I wish I was a little bit more empathetic with him because I was just trying to tell him, hey, you know, it's going to be fine. Just forget about it. Go out, walk right. around the neighborhood. You're going to be all right. But, but now listening to what you're saying, it makes total Especially sense. because, yep. again, their threat response is activated. Yeah, The response that even insects have, every organism has it. But because we were kicked out of our comfort zone, mm-hmm. the truth is, we don't have to live like exiles from that mm-hmm. comfort zone. Through mindfulness and self-regulation tools, which I hope to be able to show you today, yeah. you can create your own sort of new level of comfort. It won't be the same, but it's your own new norm. So can I define what self-regulation is? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so self-regulation is the ability to manage distressing emotions and impulses and be able to soothe and calm the body's reaction to stress by self-modulating the sensory and somatic responses. So in other words... Can you say that one more time, John, just so that yeah. people get it? Yeah. So self-regulation is the, the ability to manage distressing emotions 
and impulses mm -hmm. and be able to soothe and calm the body's reaction to stress by modulating sensory, the way right. I feel about things, and somatic responses, which is my right. labored breathing, my heart palpitations. Right? So soothing your distress through awareness, which we talk about a lot here, right? Th through awareness and then also some of these mindfulness exercises that I'm gonna show you. So mm -hmm. that means, so in other words of saying it is, self-regulation is the ability to interrupt the threat response. It interrupts it and it stops it for a little while and it activates the natural stabilizer, which is called the parasympathetic nervous system, which I can talk more of. And you can do that. That's the great thing. We have the tools and it. we have the resources to do that, which I think that that's really important for us to stop and think about. Mm -hmm. We can do this in our home. We can do this sitting at our desk. Yep. We can do this driving, uh, I would imagine, uh, mm -hmm. once you give us those, those guidance of how we walk through it. And... I, I really appreciate the fact that you said we were kicked out of our comfort zone and mm -hmm. we have to find tools how to manage every day. I noticed that before I used to always tell myself or tell my staff, tomorrow's gonna be better, next week it's gonna be better. I stopped doing that I just because I realized that when I, when I say that and next week comes and something worse right. happens, it's not better. Mm -hmm. I feel disappointed, I feel even more off kilter. It takes me longer, I use the word, to talk myself off of that ledge because subconsciously, I'm still thinking, even though I said that to myself, you said next week was gonna be better and it's not better or something else happened. Now it's fires, now it's hurricanes. Yes. Even though it's not happening, thank God, in my backyard, but I feel that much more less in control. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're saying is, don't keep saying tomorrow is gonna be better, just focus on the now. Right. Like. I hope you have a really good day today because today is all you can control. And, and there are affirmations that we use. Like for now, you're feeling awful, as I mentioned before. This is discomfort, not danger. Mm. Don't believe everything that you think. And whatever I'm worried about, I'm not gonna be able to figure it out today. Let me focus on you know, taking care of my kids. Let me focus on my work if I'm working. Let me feed my dogs. Let me work on my, my yard, stuff like that. It's basically day to day. I like that. This it's like wartime. It's yes. like wartime. Yes, this uh, is situation. discomfort, not danger. That's what I just I wrote like down, that. Cecile. And don't believe mm -hmm. everything you think. <laughs> we talk a lot about our emotions because we also believe in cognitive behavioral therapy. Right. Uh, we talk a lot about being mindful, being aware of our thoughts and the origins of our thoughts, mm -hmm. to, so how they guide our emotions and they guide our actions. And I'll be starting by asking ourselves, is this th thought true? Is this right. actually happening or am I just accessing a memory or am I reacting? But I like that this is distress, not mm -hmm. danger. Right, most of it is projection. You know, the, the famous book by Eckhart Tolle called The Power of Now, mm -hmm. yes, cheesy title, book. but it's a great book <laughs> because he says that outside of today, the three of us talking right now at 11 o'clock in the morning is the only thing that's real. Everything else is the play of thought. What I'm worried about tomorrow, what I'm worried about in five minutes, is the play of thought. It's unrealistic, it's not real, it's basically fantasy. Even the way I look back at things, if I have regrets, I'm looking back at it with a particular interpretation of it. That's the play of thought too. So self-regulation and mindfulness skills grounds me in the now. Can I give you Please. an example of yeah. that? So, excited to hear them. So imagine a vast ocean during a severe storm, right? Mm -hmm. Hurricane wind-like hurricane wind -like winds are blowing and gigantic waves are crashing. The ocean surface rises and falls with fierce unpredictability, yet regardless of the condition of the surface of the ocean, if we dip below and go underneath the surface, it's calm and peaceful. Mm -hmm. So during the pandemic and everything else that's happened, our surface thoughts right now are the same. They're tumultuous, they're mm -hmm. scary, they're unpredictable. They are naturally in turmoil because of our current fears of how long this pandemic could last this emergency could last. So practicing self-regulation, again, is like slipping underneath the ocean of our fearful thoughts and accessing the quiet mind. That's mm. a great image. And I remember going through some uh, training, meditation training. I've got to tell you, John, I am not someone that can meditate. <laughs> and everybody that I know- I second that yeah, one. Yeah, and everybody I know says, Cecilia, you need to meditate. And I actually feel distress when people say that to me for two reasons. <laughs> not because I don't agree with them, because I do, but because I feel less than because I can't. I remember when I first started doing yoga, this is years ago, I was going through a very uh, tumultuous time in my life. I was going through a divorce and it was, it was heart-wrenching mm -hmm. and I, thought I'm gonna go do yoga this is this is it and 
the first time I did Downward Dog, I remember thinking, peace and serenity now, damn it, with a lot more expletives. And I was cursing at myself. <laughs> and the woman came and said, your energy is distressing everybody. That's wow. that's how much I, and I felt insulted. And then I I, I, I didn't come back to yoga for a few years. <laughs> but I, I, I have a lot of self-judgment about that. So one of the things that, that I did read uh, that did help me to go along with the imagery that you gave was lying in a field and and forcibly seeing myself go below the grass below the earth to somewhere very calm but i like this about the ocean because we f- i do feel many times that i'm a ship without that is not moored to a harbor mm-hmm. and i'm wandering around aimlessly desperately trying to protect myself and those whom i love and i feel they're my responsibility like my team well i have news for you even though i've been a therapist for 27 years and i've had tons and tons of therapy uh, I don't meditate either. I have a really hard time with it. That's why I use these mindfulness self-regulation tools, which are not a 45-minute meditation mm-hmm. that sometimes leads to frustration. This is five minutes, three times a day. Well, that's good to know. I think that I can handle that. I think I can And so they're using that. these techniques at schools. They're using them in um, all kinds of places. What about children? That's a something I yeah. really worry about because again we have the the IQ and the EQ and the life experience to varying degrees to be able to understand to be able to have more control on our life mm-hmm. but what about kids well, I worry about the the, the now effects and mm-hmm. the lasting effects yeah and you can't get a kid to meditate for 45 minutes or no. 30 minutes but in the small incremental stuff um, research shows that it starts their day in a kind of grounding, like I'm checking in with myself, and it's time to be quiet for five minutes. It's almost like taking a little nap. So how would, if I, I don't have kids, but if I were trying to get a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old mm-hmm. um, to to be mindful, to practice some of the techniques that you mentioned, how would I go about doing that, um, knowing that, like you said, it's hard to to get them to focus, number one, number two, but also knowing that unaware to perhaps to to my mindset, they are consuming a lot of the fear from hearing the conversations among the adults, hearing the news, and not having the ability to process that information as we do. But well, how would I how would I say that to the child other than close your eyes and, and breathe? Be quiet. Be mm-hmm. quiet, which, yes, I, I can. I That's would what I would, that would not. Mm-hmm. I, I have taught families to do it, and the best way oh, to do it is to do it as a collective. Mm-hmm. We get together. Uh, we watch TV together. We play together. We travel together. But you know what? Today or maybe twice a day, we're going to sit down together and do this breathing protocol and the sensory perception protocol that I'm going to show you. Um, and most of the time, especially if kids have been suffering from anxiety and they're aware of that anxiety, they're usually willing to do it because it's so short and they're doing it with their family. And so collectively, it works a lot better than just saying, go to your room and do your meditation. And John, shouldn't parents also um, take note that uh, children really do pick up those cues from their parents? So if, if the parent is calmer, if the parent is more grounded, the child hopefully would be as well. It's a great point, exactly. So I have to be able to exude, not necessarily uh, be uh, inauthentic about my anxiety. I may be anxious, but I'm not gonna, I'm gonna do my best not to project that out to my kids. But in general, if I remain calm and I do activities that I know are gonna help me, and if I have a good relationship with my kid, Mm -hmm. they're usually gonna wanna follow. And it's so short, it's so short. I also reward them, and I say, you know, maybe I'll give you some ice cream after you do it. I can see how that would make a lot of kids happy. That that's great. Um, but John, I am a person that likes to see the data. I like to see the facts. I like to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I especially in the time that we're all living, I believe that all of us should really question the source of information and question the source of of um, something that we're we're going to use a tool that we're going to use that we believe is helpful in our life. So. Talk to me about where does this come from? Where do where do these reactions, where do this um, autopilot or instinctive reaction come from that we so, want to control? Right. So remember, we established that um, most people during such a year, um, and by the way, you can also get trauma through what's called vicarious and or secondary trauma. Mm-hmm. You don't have to experience um, a lot of hardship or actually see an accident or be part of an accident. Um, and, and receive the same kind of trauma, you could hear about it or watch it on TV. So just mm-hmm. people that are just around it can cause that and, and activate the threat response. Like we were saying about children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just hearing it. And they may exactly. not even have, well, 
they probably don't have the ability to verbalize right. it if they're not aware of their anxiety level. Right. So secondary trauma can be just as hard. Like remember the Boston Marathon bombings? Yes. Yeah. We all watched it on TV because mm-hmm. we were in Boston, but I was traumatized by it, and I was five thousand miles or three thousand miles away. And so when I think of the word marathon or I think of bomb or something like that, it causes me an effect. All right. So, so why is it that this technique? Uh, regulates us again from the dysregulation and how does it interrupt the um, threat response? So what self-regulation does is it stimulates the natural stabilizer, the opposite of the sympathetic nervous system, which is the one that gets you ready for fight or flight. Mm -hmm. It activates the parasympathetic nervous system. This is the system that's the primal mechanism we all possess that restores the body back to normal when the threat response is activated. So hence, Practicing mindfulness as a form of self-regulation relaxes the body by rebooting the neocortex. Mm -hmm. It's the executive brain. The neocortex is involved in higher brain functions, such as sensory perception, cognition, reasoning, and language. So if we keep the brain online, we inhibit the threat response. So keeping the brain Mm. online means I have to activate my parasympathetic nervous system, And that's where these techniques work to do that. So most psychotherapeutic techniques right now use a lot of, let's work on the mind, let's change your thoughts. Mm -hmm. But we're moving more towards mind and body. A good example is if I'm driving in a car and I'm late for an appointment, my mind says, oh my God, I'm going to be late and Mm -hmm. whatever, maybe I will be disrespected by that Mm -hmm. or I'll upset people. I can text them and say, I'm going to be late and they'll say, it's okay. And then my mind's okay, but my body has not caught up. Mm. My body's still in threat mode, threat response, because maybe my job's at stake. And that's where the mind-body technique comes in. That's really important, John, and I want to stop and, and really underscore that. Because I think, as you were talking, I was getting a visual. Uh, I was I was mm-hmm. walking myself through how I react to things and, and what I need to do. And, and the last point you made is what really hit me. So if I were to just distill what you just said for our listeners is our executive brain or, or, or the boss brain that mm-hmm. tells us how to, what to do and how to react and how to feel. And excuse me, it's also the rational brain. The, the rational brain. It says, slow down, Cecile, slow down. Which hopefully, that's the boss brain. <laughs> I'd like to think being a boss, but, but in being a response, rational brain. boss brain, executive brain goes offline. It's out. It's gone. Which is why it's important to also think about that, right? right. Is, is how do I react when I feel threatened? Right. Part of it is that we smell smoke, we run out the door, I wanted to react that way. Right. Uh, part of it is I think I'm in danger, do I just react or do I stop and think? So so if the boss brain is, is on, if we keep ourselves online and plugged in and connected, then I can be aware of when I'm jumping into that fight or flight mode and what's that doing to my mind and my body, which I agree, it can't just be the, the, the mental aspect. And I can choose to then focus on using techniques that allow myself to connect my mind to my body and calm myself down. So John, when Cecile says having her mind online and connected, that means she's not running on autopilot, correct? Correct. And so from this more calmer state, then I can make better decisions, even if it's making a decision on something that's very traumatic and and very problematic, which I think is what we all want to do and what we all need to do. But I, I really want to know more about this connection with the mind and the body, because I think that we are propelling ourselves to keep going and we're Mm-hmm. doing I think some of us a great job talking ourselves through it's going to be okay I'm right. fine I'm calm I should be grateful because I still have a job everybody's fine mm-hmm. but we're not I, I will speak for myself I'm not good at realizing the trauma that my body is taking from all the stress or all the sadness or all the grief there are days where I wake up and I wake up angry mm-hmm. and I pick a reason right there's there's plenty out there at least for me and I know because I feel it because I've there have been days where I wake up and I feel like I can't breathe I went to my cardiologist because I thought I was having heart problems thank god my heart is fine and he said something to me that was very very insightful he said you know people say that stress can kill you or lead to some very ugly disease and people seem to brush that off because we don't make the connection to the mm. body from a mental state. He said, well, think of it this way. Think of if your brain is at the top 
and whatever goes into into it starts draining through the rest of your body. I like it. And I, I got that visual, and, and let me tell you, it made me think, okay, I've, I've got to start doing something, so I'd love for you to take us through some more of, of, of those factors. So I'll, I'll say something that's going to be controversial to most therapeutic mm. modalities. When you are in threat response mode, even if you don't suffer from an anxiety disorder, but during these times, mm-hmm. I tell my patients, do not trust your gut. You wow. know, everyone says, trust, trust your intuition, your gut. Oh, trust yeah. your gut. doesn't work that way Why? in threat response. Because if you're in threat response and you are activated, the first thought you're going to have is going to be catastrophic. It's going to be so biased into, I have to protect my organism and my family and my home and my money. So as we talked last time, it's so important to take five and pull back mm-hmm. and work to bring that parasympathetic nervous system back online, the executive brain back line, and then act from that place. The initial reaction is always a dangerous place to react from. Actions based by on fear. Exactly. Yeah. So remember, uh, emotional trauma gets encoded in the senses, right? What does that mean? So it means that it's not always in conscious memory. Many people are not aware that they're really affected by COVID, and they walk around feeling irritable, they lash out at people, they seem depressed and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So if it's encoded in the conscious, in, in the sensor, I'm sorry, in the senses and not in conscious memory, our sympathetic nervous system stays in threat response all the time, and sometimes we don't realize it. So the first reaction that we have, the gut reaction, is always going to be way too catastrophic. So if that's true, um, then that means the trauma is, is stored in the body and doesn't get treated. And as a result of that, the distress, sometimes unbeknownst to us, an emotional dysregulation cycle remains intact. So we have to teach people to integrate mind and body. And benefits to that is, is it's less about making your negative, th- negative thoughts go away about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it's much more about changing your reaction to the thoughts. Mm-hmm. The impulse is the thought, oh my God, things are bad. But if I can change my relationship to those thoughts mm-hmm. and not be so reactive, it'll be a little, little bit different. And one of the key points of mindfulness practice is it helps to replace the exhausting act of overanalyzing my negative thoughts mm-hmm. with the awareness that I'm simply just experiencing negative thoughts. So when I take five, it's not, oh my God, the world's gonna end. It's John's having thoughts again that the world is gonna end. I'm creating right. a little separation mm. from my thoughts. Does that so make sense? That that makes sense, and there's a lot that I wanna unpack, unpack there, but is that something that could be helpful for us to to use with, um, with loved ones? I'll give you an example. I am originally from Arizona, and just about everybody else in my family lives in Arizona, and mm-hmm. I come from a really close family, and they live a very different life than we live here in LA. They live in, in a wonderful rural community, um, and, and they're always together. And it's funny, and I know it's out of love, and I think of it, it analytically, and I don't understand. If there's a fire in Northern California, they call me to make sure it's okay that I'm fine, that I'm safe. Earthquakes too, right? Yes, mm-hmm. and many times we say, well, that's fine. I know Juan, your mom calls yeah. you and, and is worried, and, and I react by saying, well, it's fine, and I think, can't they pull out a map? Don't they? You know, San Francisco <laughs> is there and we're here, but maybe they're reacting to that fear of a loved one, and perhaps maybe yeah. I could address that differently. They're and, in a slight, mild threat response mode, mm-hmm. and it's out of love, it's out of care, but it's the reflex is to call, call, even right. though she's fine. But I'm gonna, I need to call anyway. Yeah, so because logically, they 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 know they're very smart people. They know, exactly. so that's how how deep it sits mm-hmm. within us, mm-hmm. um, whether it's happening to us directly right. or or people around us that we love, or like you said, the marathon. We all could could empathize or sympathize because we're we're all Americans and and we see mm-hmm. when a when a wrong is is in front of us. You also said something that I I want to get further thoughts on from you. You said it stays in in our sympathetic it stays encoded it's encoded in the senses it's encoded in the senses so as you were saying that i went away from covid and i went to civil unrest and i went to racism and i had read something very interesting that talked about racial trauma i had not heard yet that term and what it said is that racial trauma exists both psychologically and physiologically it it comes from your mind and it comes from your body and I'd love your thoughts on that because as you were talking what came to my mind is that's why as different races we experience trauma 
differently. We mm. all know that there are severe social inequities, COVID, economic inequities, and race inequities, right? The, uh, COVID has hit the African-American, Hispanic communities disproportionately higher. It has a deeper economic impact to those same communities. And of course, the, the social and civil unrest. But what I was thinking about specifically is when a certain part of our of our population of Americans believe that, well, things are not as bad, it's just one or two police officers, or we've had an African-American president, there is no more racism, or for them to just say there is no racism in America. I am Hispanic, Juan is Hispanic, Sean is African-American. I will tell you, it hits me. I may not be able to articulate it, but there's little bells going off in the back of my mind um, that that jar me. And is that what you're talking about? Because I, it stays encoded. The the acts that I have seen against me, the sim, my my empathetic reaction to what I see, uh, the fear that I have because I I know on top of being Hispanic as a woman, I my my muscle memory and as well as my own personal experience of of what racism really feels like. Is is that what you're talking about? Right. So chronic exposure to that kind of. Um racism, oppression, subjugation, hate, all of that stuff gets encoded in the senses because it can't be thought of all day long. No. The body cannot handle that. As we talked about mm. last no, we week, can't. even in death and grieving, we have to put it aside. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it, it, it's not a blame thing. It gets put aside because we have to attend to our activities of daily living. So yeah, this historical generational trauma based on, again, all of those years, even dating back to slavery, sticks with us all the time. And on top of that, for the African-American community, there's also the stigma about weakness going to clergy, I'm sorry, going to a psychotherapist or mm -hmm. reaching out for help. There's a distrust in the mental health field and the medical mm -hmm. field for yes. the African-Americans. And they're much more apt to rely on clergy, which in my mind is great, but clergy isn't always as educated as they should be for mental health disorders. There are people that are really sick that really need to be medicated and stuff. So. My belief is that you can bring church and psychotherapy together. They can mm -hmm. work together. It doesn't have to be one or the other. My psychiatrist doesn't have to be Jesus Christ. They can be a psychiatrist, and you can also have Jesus. So um, it gets encoded in the, in, the, in the senses that way. And, I mean, it does for everybody, but particularly with uh, people of color, it's very, very different. Same thing with the Latinx community. I think that's important for all of us to understand Understand that it is encoded in our mm -hmm. very fiber of our being. It is. And it is important for people of all races to understand that and to tr believe the scientific data behind that because when you accept that as fact, which it is, you hopefully will be more sympathetic to understanding why we, quote, just can't get over it. You right. are successful. You have a business. You have this. Just get over it. It's like me saying, "Cut off your arm because uh, you know it's it's in the past, even though it still happens in the future." But but I, I think it's important that you shared that because I think that as we come out of the trauma that we're living through now, all of it, we will come out of it in a better place if we're kinder, gentler more aware, more in control of Empathetic. our reaction. Mm -hmm. Yes, more in control, more right. aware. And, 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 and excuse me, we are, we are more adapt to invalidate. Juan was bringing up a point about trying to help his mom as I often try to help people. And it's a delicate situation where mm -hmm. we want to tell them that they're safe and they're okay, but it's a fine line. And mm -hmm. I know you were trying to help, but it's a fine line from sounding invalidating and helping them. Yeah, and let me give that example. Uh, John, we were talking earlier a lot oftentimes I'll call my mom to check how she's doing and and she doesn't sound great and she sounds worried and she sounds like she's she's lost in her thoughts a little bit and I ask her what's wrong and she'll say well I'm worried about the fires in California I'm worried about covid I'm worried about the hurricane churning off the coast of Africa that might head our way and I and I tell her mom come on you're fine nothing's happening I'm away from the fires here in California that hurricane is weeks away from coming towards mm -hmm. the coast. You're fine. Stop worrying about things you can't control. And she kind of shuts up for a little bit mm -hmm. and, and she takes it in. And um, 
she of course will tell me I just don't understand, but I don't wanna be that son where um, I'm invalidating her and what can I tell somebody like that? And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have a relative, a friend, a parent in a similar situation. Is there something I could tell her that comes from her son that's loving, empathetic, and takes into her, uh, into her feelings, into um, thought? Yeah, I mean, um the urge to want to help her by mm -hmm. telling her that she has nothing to worry about because she probably is safe wherever she is, um, is there. That'll probably never go away. But what I try to tell people is, is I know you're feeling scared or you're feeling sad or you're going through something right now. But remember, these are temporary feelings. Mm. And for now, this is the way that you're feeling. The truth is, it's okay for you to be scared right now. It's discomfort, not danger. Discomfort, not danger again. That's so, yeah. I'm going to remember that, yes. And that um, it's very natural. So you're validating her by saying it's very natural for you to mm -hmm. feel this way. But I'd like you to focus on things that you do have control over just for today. Mm -hmm. And also to remember not to confuse emotions with reasoning. Emotional reasoning is when I view things through my emotions. So I say, I feel scared, so maybe that means I'm in a dangerous situation. Mm. You're trying to shift your mom from being in the... Uh, again, the threat response to try to help her access that, that executive brain. Uh, it isn't e always easy to do. And there's yeah. a great quote um, that says, keep your doors and windows open. Let them come and go. Just don't serve them tea. <laughs> you don't want them to stay long. Right. So your mom, yeah. all of us, but your mom especially, she doesn't just serve them tea. She probably brings them in for a five-course meal. She lets them stay yeah. at home. She gives them a room. She lets them linger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest to you is just to validate how scared she is and to reassure right. her that you're okay and that all we can do is support each other throughout the next couple of days or a couple right. of weeks and just accept that you're feeling anxious. But because there's nothing you can do about it, it's okay to feel scared. Now, saying that you're feeling scared doesn't necessarily mean that you're saying it's a good thing. You're just allowing it to be. Like a passing cloud over the horizon, you notice the negative thought, allow it to pass, and then focus on something you have control over, whether that's cooking a meal or taking a, a shower or a bath or taking a yeah. walk. That's where mindfulness really comes into play right that's there. That's where mindfulness mm -hmm. comes in, yeah. It's funny that you're as you're talking about this, I was remembering, because I always say, okay, can I do that? How would I apply it? And and how would that work? And I, and I realized that unknowingly, I, I did this for a very dear friend of mine. She was gonna come to visit. Uh, from the East Coast and it had happened during a period of time where there had been a lot of plane crashes for some reason, mm. uh, more than typical and she was really nervous. She's she's someone that thinks about these things and worries about them, invites them in for a five course meal and um, <laughs> right. she, she called me right before she jumped on the plane and I could hear the anxiety in her voice and I was walking to a restaurant back when we used to go to restaurants and she said she was going on, Cecile, I, I have everything done, but I'm really worried, and this plane crash, and this one, they haven't figured out what the problem is, and I don't know, and I maybe I put my affairs in order, I'm just nervous, and what do you think? I already checked in, and I'm just listening to her, and I can hear her. And she says, so, so I don't know, what do you think? What do you think? You know, do you think I'm going to die? I said, I'm sorry, honey, what did you say? Well, do you think I'm going to die? I said, oh, yeah, I have the answer for that. Absolutely, without a question, you are going to die. <laughs> when? Maybe not know. today. Maybe, maybe not, not today. I said, I don't know. Yeah. You don't know, but I'm sorry. Right. What was the original question? What were you asking? Right. And she just stayed really quiet, and she started laughing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that that's what you're talking about. Exactly. And same with Juan's, Juan's mother. It's about helping. And who knows? They may not grasp it. But again, there's a big difference between I'm in danger or I'm having thoughts about being in danger. Mm -hmm. So that's why these exercises switch you from being a victim of your thoughts to being an observer of your thoughts. I'm being observant of my thoughts because it's not the situation that I'm in that's scaring me, it's my thoughts about them and my reaction to it. So that's a we, huge takeaway yes, right there, isn't it? Yeah, so if we wanna move from being a victim of our thoughts to being an observer of our thoughts, right. would, that, would that also... And excuse me, can I just say sure, one more thing? Please. It's also the process of basically changing your inner dialogue. Right now, mm -hmm. Juan's mom's inner dialogue is, again, catastrophic and knee-jerk negativity. So it's changing it that dialogue from the knee-jerk and negative one to being more of a reflective and wise one, mm -hmm. which is something that you can teach her to be wise. You're wise about it right now. You are, I am, just today, but ask us in five minutes. Tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Yes. Now. So I have to access the wise mind, which is, again, rebooting the neocortex, and helping people to stay in the moment about it, which is 
right now, mom, I know mm-hmm. you feel like SHIT, but this is the mind yeah. protecting you. It's the threat response that's making you speak this mm-hmm. way. And taking all that into consideration, because my sister one time told my mother, you're just too negative. Uh, and right. she did not like that. And she called me saying, can you believe your sister thought I was that's too negative? That's a judgment. And in the back of my mind, I thought, mm, maybe a little bit. But of course, I right. did not um, <laughs> side with my sister right. at that point. <laughs> Look, a good example is, and I, if I said this to you last time, stop me, because I sometimes don't remember. But when I was growing up as a kid, my parents were both immigrants. My mother was Latina, by the way, oh, father Greek. And to them, they grew up poor. So mm-hmm. th- words like depression and anxiety don't exist. No. You know, so I remember one time telling my father that I was feeling anxious about something. And um, my father said, you know what? When I was your age, I was like nine. He said, when I was your age, I had three jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that immediately shut me up. Yeah. Yeah. And then my mom said to me, you have a roof over your head. You go to private school. You have meals. What do you have to be worried about? And I know she was trying to help. But that's the worst thing to tell somebody who's suffering from anxiety is what do you have to worry about? Because then you feel stupid that my parents are telling me or my friends are telling me that I shouldn't be worried, but I continue to be worried. So it's very invalidating to say that. Mm. That's really important. Listen, we all heard from our parents, those of us who are a certain generation, the I walked in the snow three miles in each direction uphill, right, to go to school. To what three are you jobs. Th- yeah, three jobs, right? <laughs> three. So, And, and my, believe me, my, my parents were the same. They were very loving but it was i mean our the motto in our family is figure it out figure it out and suck it up buttercup right, right. just get through it but what i what i wanted to say as as these thoughts came to me when you're talking about uh be an observer don't be a victim uh to your emotions and your thoughts could that also be applied to someone with whom you're having a conversation i'll give you an example i find that sometimes when i'm talking about my deep concerns of of the racism, the the persistent and increasing racism and and disparity that we're seeing in our society. It's it's like the 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 volume has been turned up and the fire has been turned up. And sometimes when I'm talking to someone and I'm very calmly sharing my experiences, they're shocked and I can see how uncomfortable they are if they are not Hispanic or a minority. And I almost feel like they not out of negativity, but maybe it's a natural reaction to not want to be uncomfortable. Immediately, they try to calm me down and say, yes. but look at you, you're you're fine, you're successful, everything's great. And although I know they're coming from a positive place, you're right, my experience is, but that doesn't negate everything right. I went through. And I feel like, well, I shouldn't complain. I don't have a right to complain. I should shut up. This is not true. And and I, and I want to know if, especially because what we're living through now, and our goal of our podcast is to allow people to live with greater mindfulness, to be able to thrive, to understand what their triggers are, to understand that, uh, that it's, it's not, this is, this is distress I'm, uh, or in stress is not danger. Could that also apply to someone who needs who wants to learn how to be a more compassionate listener absolutely i think that if i can be a compassionate listener to myself and start Mm. working on integrating how i feel uh i'm sorry accepting how i feel and giving myself the same compassion um, i might be able to do it to others you know when we do these exercises we we use what are called automatic thought records where i have people in four different parts blueprint their thought process and usually the end is where you put in the dispute, the the new way of thinking, the better way of thinking. And some people can't come up with an alternative to their obsessive thinking, like the world's gonna end tomorrow. So what I say to them is, imagine that you're talking to your son or your daughter or a friend and come up with a more rational neocortex executive brain response. Most of them have a different response to that because you would never tell your kid that came to you, Mm. yes, the world's going to end, hunker down, your life's over. You'd be like the opposite. You'd be like, oh, sweetie, come here, and you'd give your kid compassion. We don't do that for ourselves when we suffer from anxiety. So Mm. we're almost, it's almost like reparenting ourselves and giving us the permission to be anxious. And then that, the tentacles of that will bleed out to other people. So is there anything else that you would recommend that we do? Because I believe that first we start with the self. You know, that's why in, in planes they say put your mask on first before you t- Correct. can help, help anybody others, else. Yeah. So what else can we do to, to bring this awareness, to bring this mindfulness, to bring this compassionate self 
and the wise brain, the executive brain, mm-hmm. to our families, our coworkers, because mm-hmm. I know as as an employer, I every single member of my team is very different, and they are experiencing this very differently, each right. one of them. And I have to put myself in the right mindset to address each one of them differently, and sometimes I'm better at it than, than others. So what can we do to do that not only to our families and our employees or our colleagues or our colleagues, but I also think that it's our responsibility to extend that to our communities. Yeah, I mean, again, it's keeping that that um, attitude and behavior about uh, the the lifestyle change of trying to separate thoughts and feelings and separating myself from those thoughts. And sometimes I'm so fused with my thoughts in the morning that I wake up and I believe everything that I think. After I take a shower and I eat a meal, I'm kind of rebalanced, but sometimes it takes a little while. Mm-hmm. So there are some techniques. Would you like me to show you what those are? Yes, Absolutely. Please. So mindfulness techniques are, again, uh, intended to slow the body down. Even if your mind's racing, you can actually slow the body down. So the way it starts is, is I sit in a comfortable chair, and I basically allow my muscles to just melt over my bones. Like I'm not holding anything mm-hmm. up. And as you know, in most traditional um, meditation techniques, they want you to sit up upright and hold your back straight. This is different. So you're just allowing yourself to do the melt. I call Mm -hmm. it the melt. And then you're doing a series of breathing exercises that you do five at a time. So if you put your, your hand on your stomach and you take a deep breath and you watch your stomach and chest rise until you feel you have two lungfuls of air you hold it for seven seconds, and then you exhale out of your mouth very slowly for eight seconds. This You can look it up. It's actually called the four, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. So I breathe for four, I hold for seven, and I exhale for eight. Now, I like the exhale. The, the longer the exhale, the quicker I get my executive brain back online. Mm-hmm. So I do the, f- the four, seven, 15. That's just oh. my thing. <laughs> so when I exhale out, I am saying or um, giving myself some affirmations. Don't believe everything you think. Everything's going to be fine. For now, I am anxious. It's okay for me to be anxious right now. So I do that five times. It's basically going to take about five minutes. While I'm doing that, here's the other key. I'm doing sensory perception observances. So I'm doing the breathing. My eyes are closed and I'm thinking, what am I hearing? I'm hearing a lawnmower. I hear a helicopter. I hear some music. I'm hearing somebody talking. Then I switch to smell. What am I smelling? I'm smelling cooking. I'm smelling, um, I don't know, freshly cut grass. And then I go to, what am I feeling? Hmm, I'm feeling anxious about COVID. I'm feeling anxious about going to work. All of that focuses you on something away from your fears while you're doing the breathing. So if you do that three times a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once in the evening. So it's basically 15 deep breaths. Mm that will bring the central nervous system down, wow. guaranteed. And we can do it anywhere. We can you do can it do it anywhere. You can do it on a plane. You can do it at work. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to close your eyes, but it's better to close your eyes. Mm-hmm. But the main thing about that three sort of um, stage uh, exercise is, is it really checks in with yourself. Mm-hmm. It says, okay, Cecile, from this point on, I'm aware that I'm not going to be my thoughts. And if I do have negative thoughts and fearful thoughts, they are just thoughts. I don't have to believe my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, th- the famous um, spiritual guru, I don't know what you'd call him, Wayne Dyer. Do you remember yes, Wayne Dyer? Yes, of course. He said that when you start to change the way you look at things, the things you're looking at start to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember that quote. Yeah. Right? So the I didn't realize way, it was Wayne, but I remember that quote. But the only way to do that is you have to stop and actually contemplate that thought and the beauty of it is only takes five minutes that's why kids really love it five minutes to just sit down and do that breathing sometimes when i do that breathing it gives me a little bit of a buzz like a good buzz and so i also leave post-it notes on my uh, car dashboard or on the the mirror in my bathroom or on the refrigerator that could be any word it could be pen but i say relaxation or let go and that keeps me in the conversation of don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. I think that's a really great technique. And and I've done versions of that um, when I do yoga, 
and you do walk out they call it a yoga high because you feel really yes. clear yeah. you feel mm-hmm. all this beautiful oxygen going through your body and the funny thing is that you do yoga for i do yoga for an hour and a half or two hours and it's grueling what i what i right. love but i walk out of there refreshed and energized instead of exhausting as if i for example if i would gone to the gym and ran on the treadmill I would not feel right. that. I would feel versions of that because I know there's endorphins going through me, but but it's different. I think it's the breathing. And the sad part about that, unfortunately, is, and that's why we have to do more work on it, is that it has a short half-life. You you walk out and then you're, that good feeling doesn't last very long mm-hmm. because all of a sudden, oh my God, you got a flat tire and all that other stuff mm-hmm. starts to happen. So that's why you're staying in the conversation of, you know, I am not my thoughts and I can make a separation from my thoughts. So again, big difference between I'm a loser or I don't have anything to show for myself and saying, you know what? There goes John. I'm having those thoughts again about mm-hmm. being a loser and I've done nothing with my life. It's a huge separation. It's like a chasm of a difference of a way of thinking. So you break the you break the cycle of, of a dialogue that you're having with yourself. Changing by, by the inner dialogue that. and I create a separation. Those are my thoughts. This is how this is what's really going on. And most of those thoughts are usually catastrophic. It's interesting because uh, something that I repeat to myself, that uh, a version of it uh, mm-hmm. in Spanish, of course, uh, is what my father used to tell me. And he used to say the quality of conversation that you have with yourself is the quality of conversation you're going to allow others to have with you. Yes. And I think that that's what you're talking about. I, th- I think that this is really helpful for our listeners and for all of us to follow, especially as we're going into... Uh, the holidays and many of us won't be able to be together Um, Mm -hmm. I know that there's going to be a huge weight on a lot of people because they won't be able to have a holiday experience they won't be able to buy gifts they won't be able to do things that we might think as just material but they are an expression of love and for many people they may not have a home and and just the sheer weight and before we get to the holidays we have to get past the election and irrespective of what political party you believe in we are all feeling the weight of that because we hear every day it's 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 problematic it's a fight and it's at least in my mind the most vicious fight that we've and uh i've witnessed in 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 my life uh and and as an active voter uh, in our society so i think that being able to stop and, and choose to exercise our wise mind, our executive right. mind, the mind that allows me to be in control of my thoughts and protect my body. That's how I'm going to see it, John, is how I protect mm-hmm. my body. Yeah. Uh, we all talk about health. Oh, my gosh, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. If you have your health, Cecile, you'll be able to handle anything in life. Well, we need to, I think, be mindful about what stress and living under all this stress and uncertainty is doing to our bodies. Right, body and mind. So the other thing to remember is, remember, excessive worry comes from something. There's nothing that you do all the time that um, doesn't have a value. So Mm. people think, and this is the automatic pilot sometimes, people think that if I worry enough about something, bad things won't happen. That's why people worry. Yeah. So, But people that are worriers tend to be very responsible people. They take care of their kids well. They they are very attention to detail. So they make that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Worrying equals being in control and exactly. controlling the outcome. So it's really the balance that it's okay to be a worrier, but is it impairing my life? And there's a great quote that says, most of our problems come not from our weaknesses, but from the overuse of our strengths. That's really so great. if I'm a really responsible person all the time, and I want to make sure that things are going well, I may be overusing that too much and I excessively worry. Is that false confidence? No, no. It's um, it's just being too overly adapted to things that are surround, that are coming at me because in the past, maybe I've had some trauma. So I become overly confident and I try to control and I get perfectionistic and I want everybody to like me. So um, if you consider yourself somebody that is successful, you probably were not successful just by things just happening. Yes. You had to be a little controlling and you had to be a little bit of a worrier mm-hmm. for all that to happen. And it's okay to worry. It right? is. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it's hard to tell somebody, stop worrying. Their unconscious mind believes that, again, worry is the best way to avert negative things happening. Going back to my mom, Cecile, it's yeah. okay for her to worry. That's right. And, and let her know that. It's okay. But give her some tips on how to right. better manage that. I'm going to definitely work on that with her. Great. And what we've been talking about, John, really is mental health. It's the, the mental health that we need 
period, full stop, but also you've guided us to understand the physical impacts that that has, that the, the wellness that that brings to our bodies. And I know we focus so much on that. And we talk about if you have your health, you, you can have everything. And uh, I, I think it's, it's going to be hugely important for our listeners to use the, some of these techniques. And we're definitely going to put them up on, on our website uh, so that they can use them and follow them. But as I was saying, we are talking about mental health, and we knew that there was a crisis of mental health in this country before the pandemic started. So what can you share with us? What can we do as individuals to ensure that we are accessing the wise mind, the executive mind, and that we're being sympathetic and patient and guiding those around us to to use some of these techniques, Mm -hmm. both as family members, as individuals, but also in our community? What can we do to ensure that we all are plugged into the need for mental health as much as physical health. Yeah, so I always look at it as the umbrella of um, acceptance of these thoughts. Now, there's no research out there that says that if you suffer from anxiety, even mild, even severe cases or mild cases, there's no research that says that you become psychotic or schizophrenic or mm-hmm. anything like that. Basically, anxiety is again, your fear center in the brain that's been activated and puts you in threat response, and it releases cortisol, which is the stress Mm -hmm. hormone. People who have a lot of anxiety, Juan's mother, sometimes has too much cortisol running in her body. And so most people think, and it's a a huge symptom of having anxiety or an anxiety disorder is I'm going crazy. Mm -hmm. And if I don't stop this now, and if COVID continues, I'm basically gonna lose my mind. And that's not the case. So again, that's emotional reasoning feeling something and thinking that it's okay. It's kind of like when you're on an airplane. You can't say, I think the plane is going to crash. But that's what a lot of people say. Mm-hmm. The, real, the reality is, is, yeah, some planes sometimes do crash. So I can say that I can think that maybe mm-hmm. from statistics. But to say that it feels that way is an irrational statement. Mm-hmm. So the same way with, I think, I, I, I feel like I'm going to go crazy. So the acceptance of um, the fact that we are in a pandemic, and even not in a pandemic, I'm just going through a difficult time, but I'm accept that it's okay, and that's where stigma doesn't allow people mm-hmm. to do that. That's a huge thing to try to teach our families. I call it psychoeducation. So basically, a healthy mind. How do you have a healthy mind and take control of that? So again, it's, it's, it's the pulling back and accessing that executive brain, and it's also focusing on the metacognition of my thoughts. You know, a lot of my thoughts are, have words in them that, for example, are absolute words, like never, always, Mm -hmm. shouldn't, shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Imagine the statement of, I'm never going to get well, or this is always going to be bad. Whenever you have, so you're you're being a thought detective. Whenever you have those words, and that's what I notice with my patients, if you have those words in your sentences, like, I should have gone to the gym today, Mm -hmm. that has a lot of guilt attached Mm -hmm. to it, or I'm never going to get well, or go home to your spouse or to your partners tonight and if you have an argument say to them you know what you never listen to me you know where that's going to (laughs) go because it's not true so in the same way i will never get better is a negative metacognition so psychoeducation is trying to raise my threshold for distress tolerance with all the techniques we talked about Uh and also trying to improve on my emotional intelligence we all need emotional intelligence during this difficult time because we are not out of the woods yet well john i i Thank you for everything Mm -hmm. that you've shared with us. It is right at the heart of why we all created this podcast, because we are deeply concerned about leading a life of awareness and and positive contribution and being the best version of ourselves that we can be. And that comes with the heart, mind, and body connected and bringing mindfulness to everything that we do. And, And we believe that the responsibility starts with ourselves first. And... All of the things you shared about matter so much to our mental health period full stop and our ability to have a happy, thriving life. You're right. Um, living under I should have or I could have or you don't or I can't, That there's no growth in that. There's only judgment and negativity. So what you have said matters so much. It matters as we're going into the holidays. It matters under mm-hmm. the civil unrest and the fear of, of COVID still very prevalent among us. And I think that 
what you shared with our, our listeners today is some real valuable tips that they can use. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the work that you do. And I wish you Godspeed in reaching more and <sighs> yes. more people with all the good things that you're doing. I do my best because to me, I won't rest until, and hopefully I'll live to see this, until mental illness is on an even par with medical conditions. And we have such a hard time with that. You know, we're, we're like a second world country when it comes to uh, mental illness. We just don't address it as we do. There's still so much stigma, and mm-hmm. that's really a shame. And that's why it's important to talk about it, to bring light and awareness and attention to it. And I can tell that that is absolutely your purpose in life, and, and thank God for that. So thank you for joining us, and I truly hope that you come see us again. And John, if somebody would like to uh, locate you here in Los Angeles or, or online, how do they do that? So you can reach me through my website, which is johnsillamparis.com. You can send me an email through my podcast, which is called Mindfulness for the Soul. And I also have uh, a website called panicla.com, which is my own sort of counseling service. Uh, You can find me online on that. Um, or through my email, which is jsilamparis at gmail.com. We'll include that on our website as well. And you have a very interesting YouTube uh, yes, we channel love it. as well. We love the name of that. Right. Psych it up, three different words. Um, it's got some you know, helpful, helpful tools, mindfulness, some political, uh, as I mentioned, some political uh, um, opinions. But mm-hmm. um, yes, yeah, so, so, so it's called Psych It Up, and it's a YouTube channel. Gotcha. We hope you'll be back very soon. Please, anytime. I'm in. For more information on John Silimparis, go to our website, ends with Z under show notes. His last name is spelled T-S-I-L-I-M-P-A-R-I-S. Please like, subscribe, and share so we can all thrive together. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Juan Fernandez. I'm Cecile Munoz. And for executive producer Sean Moe, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day because above all else, you matter.